0: Good morning everybody. It's great to see all of you today. So, it's one week until Christmas. Hands up who are the Christmas lovers here. Yay, me too. I know that we have a couple of grinches in the congregation, but I think most of us agree that there is something lovely about Christmas. There are lovely aspects about Christmas. I love pretty much everything about it. I love the sparkly lights. I love the music. I love that too many people are squished around the Christmas table for that meal, the excitement of the kids. But I think we can also all agree that Christmas is a complex season. It's financially complex, it can be relationally complex. Planning and prep is multifaceted, to say the least. But Christmas can also be complex. In our hearts it's meant to be the season of hope and joy but what happens when what we're experiencing is more like disillusionment or doubt is God actively involved does he really care about the details of my life does he care about our country about our world you know we think about what's happening in the world We look at Ukraine and Russia and the U.S. We think like if the interest rates or the petrol price go up one more time, what will we do? What decisions should we make for our children? Should we do this or should we do that? And how do we afford either of those options? Will the longings of my heart be met for a spouse, for that baby that we have been waiting for and praying for? Is it wise to keep on hoping? Where does the Jesus of Christmas fit in with all of that? I got a phone call about a month ago. I was standing in a queue at Clicks, and there was somebody from Telcom, and they told me that I had been especially selected for a very special offer. And without thinking about it, without feeling anything, I just said, thanks so much, we're sorted, and I put the phone down. And then I stood in that queue, and I thought, when did I become so skeptical? And I was thinking, I wonder what that special offer was that I was so specially selected for. (laughs) There was a time when I would have been genuinely excited about that news, (laughs) and then there was a long time after that where I would have at least have listened to the story The world we live in teaches us that skepticism is the wise response. There are so many scams out there. Social media has people just showing the most attractive side of their lives. Governments are full of corruption. We've been disappointed and lied to. Marketers spin things to try and convince us that we absolutely need their product. And then their product delivers a fraction of what it promised. I think a lot of us live with our skepticism radar set on high. We're manipulated by this world, and our souls are weary, and our doubts are big. We are in a series as a church where we're looking at the coming king. As we look ahead to Christmas morning, and Eschia spoke about the king who comes with peace. And last week, he spoke about the king who comes with life. And this morning, we are looking at the king who comes and silences our doubts. So we're still in Isaiah, and today's passage is a long one. We're actually going to do the whole of Isaiah 40. So because it's a long reading and because it's hard to focus through such a long reading, what we're going to do is we're going to split it into different portions that are highlighted or colored up on the screen. Uh, This is one of the things we do as we... Uh, do preach prep um, and it's a really lovely way to read scripture so maybe it's something that you'd like to try once or twice as you do your devotions as well you just try to pull out the themes in the structure so the yellow bits and the projector doesn't look quite the same as (laughs) it did on the computer screen so it looks kind of like yeah a little bit olive, but those yellow bits, we see God comforting, caring, rescuing, restoring. And what I want you to do is really listen to the tone that God uses. The green part, so that's just green writing. This is the voice. There's a voice that keeps popping up and it says, listen, and then shout, then shout it louder, then shout from the mountains. And the blue parts that either they're describing God or it's describing humankind and the vast difference between the two. So really what we're looking at there is this this contrast between fallible, limited humans and the superiority and the sovereignty of God. So let's read together Isaiah 40. Comfort, comfort my people, says your God. Speak tenderly to Jerusalem Tell her that her sad days are gone and her sins are pardoned. Yes, the Lord has punished her twice over for all her sins. Listen, it's the voice of someone shouting. Clear the way through the wilderness for the Lord. Make a straight highway through the wasteland for our God. Fill in the valleys and level the mountains and hills. Straighten the curves and smooth out the rough places. Then the glory of the Lord will be revealed, and all people will see it together. The Lord has spoken. A voice said, shout. I asked, what should I shout? Shout that people are like the grass. Their beauty fades as quickly as the flowers in a field. The grass withers and the flowers fade beneath the breath of the Lord. And so it is with people. The grass withers and the flowers fade, but the word of our God stands forever. O Zion, messenger of good news, shout from the mountaintops, shout it louder, O Jerusalem. Shout it and do not be afraid. Tell the towns of Judah, here is your God. Yes, the sovereign Lord is coming in power. He will rule with a powerful arm. See, he brings his reward with him as he comes. He will feed his flock like a shepherd. He will carry the lambs in his arms, holding them close to his heart. He will gently lead the mother's sheep with their young. Who else has held the oceans in his hand? Who has measured off the heavens with his fingers? Who else knows the weight of the earth or has weighed the mountains and hills on a scale? Who is able to advise the Spirit of the Lord? Who knows enough to give him advice or teach him? Has the Lord ever needed anyone's advice? Does he need instruction about what is good? Did someone teach him what is right or show him the path of justice? No. For all the nations of the world are but a drop in the bucket, they are nothing more than dust on the scales. He picks up the whole earth as though it were a grain of sand. All the wood in Lebanon's forests and all Lebanon's animals would not be enough to make a burnt offering worthy of our God. The nations of the world are worth nothing to him. In his eyes, they count for less than nothing, mere emptiness and froth. To whom can you compare God? What image can you find to resemble him? Can he be compared to an idol formed in a mold, overlaid with gold and decorated with silver chains? Or if people are too poor for that, they might at least choose wood that won't decay and a skilled craftsman to carve an image that won't fall down. Haven't you heard? Don't you understand? Are you deaf to the words of God, the words he gave before the world began? Are you so ignorant? God sits above the circle of the earth, The people below seem like grasshoppers to him. He spreads out the heavens like a curtain and makes his tent from them. He judges the great people of the world and brings them all to nothing. They hardly get started, barely taking root. When he blows on them and they wither, the wind carries them off like chaff. To whom will you compare me? Who is your equal? Says the Holy One. Look up into the heavens. Who created all the stars? He brings them out like an army, one after another, calling each by its name. Because of his great power and incomparable strength, not a single one is missing. Oh, Jacob, how can you say the Lord does not see your troubles? Oh, Israel, how can you say God ignores your rights? The NIV here, it says, why do you complain? Why do you say my cause is disregarded by my God? Have you never heard? Have you never understood? The Lord is the everlasting God, the creator of all the earth. He never grows weak or weary. No one can measure the depths of his understanding He gives power to the weak and strength to the powerless. Even youths will become weak and tired, and young men will fall in exhaustion. But those who hope in the Lord will find new strength. They will soar high on wings like eagles. They will run and not grow weary. They will walk and not faint. Thanks be to God for his word. Heavenly Father, thank you that you are the incomparably great God that you are the God of our hope. And Father God, I pray for each one of us today, Lord God, that as we hear your word, Lord God, that your Holy Spirit will come and move in our hearts and in our lives, Lord God, and that you will make us who you've always meant us to be. In Jesus' name, amen. My friend Steph ran the Comrades Marathon. She's done it a couple of times. She is amazing. But not being a runner, there was something I did not realize. You run for 90 kilometers, and then after triumphantly crossing the finish line, just when you think you are done, the only way to get out of the stadium The only way to ever get back home again is that. So it's like you're done, but you're not done. (laughs) Kind of feel like somebody's lied to you. The world we live in tends to do that. It makes us believe that a certain outcome is a sure thing. And then we're left feeling misled when that's not the whole truth. And seeds of doubt are planted. And those seeds of doubt are watered by the inconsistency of this world that we live in. And it's so easy for our doubt to spill over into our relationship with God. Isaiah 40 is a reminder to us that God is in a league all of his own. And that he will do what he has promised. God does not exaggerate his power or his goodness. He is exactly who he says he is. So what we're going to do this morning is first we're going to have a look at that voice that speaks. So that was the green writing. And then we're going to zoom in on a huge difference between man and God. And then we'll end off by seeing how God responds to his people the commission. So there is this voice that keeps bursting through in this passage, and we see a progression as this voice speaks. At first, the voice seems far away, and um, it's verse three, we read, listen. It it feels to me a little bit like we're being shushed. I hear something. And kind of imagine this person straining. What is that that we hear? And then they say, it is the voice of someone calling out. And what are they shouting? Prepare the way for the Lord. Make straight in the desert a highway for our God. Now that sounds a little bit familiar, doesn't it? Where have we heard that before? Where else do we hear that? John the Baptist, Right. In Luke verse 3, we read about John baptizing people, pointing them to Jesus as the Savior and Messiah, and the one who was promised, who has come now. John is pointing back to Isaiah 40, and he's saying, That one, that one that Isaiah 40 is speaking about is here now. Listen to Luke verse 3, Luke 3, verse 3. He, John the Baptist, went into all the country around the Jordan, preaching a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. A voice of one calling in the wilderness, prepare the way for the Lord, make straight paths for him. Every valley shall be filled in, every mountain and hill made low. The crooked road shall become straight, the rough way smooth, and all people will see God's salvation." Isaiah is promising to Israel freedom from exile. John the Baptist takes up that cry, and he's saying to us, Jesus is yours. Jesus is your freedom from the exile of sin and doubt and separation from God. Jesus is the one that Isaiah was pointing to. Jesus is the one that John is pointing to. And we also are people who get to take up this cry of this voice shouting out, prepare your way. Let's prepare our hearts. Let's prepare our lives because the king is coming. And then later on, the voice says, shout. Shout and don't be afraid. Tell them they are just human. Tell them that I am God and that my word stands forever. And then it gets bigger still, because then it's not just a message that it's given, but there's a title that's given. You are the messenger of good news. Now it's not just something you say, it's who you are. God says, this is who I'm making you. You know, for 39 chapters in Isaiah, um, the Israelites have been messing up. And yet God says to Isaiah, I want you to be the one who brings them good news. I want you to be the one who tells them that what I say is the truth and that I can be trusted. So shout it loud. And then it gets even bigger. And it says, shout it from the mountaintops. Now you've got some climbing to do because this message is so important that no one can miss it. You're going to have to get up high where your voice can carry because everyone needs to hear this. Israel desperately needed to hear this message. They had been in exile. They were away from the country that they knew, the people that they knew, the temple where they worshiped their God, their customs. And they were surrounded by doubts. And then John the Baptist, he takes up this cry because he knows through the Holy Spirit that it's Jesus. Jesus is this one, this one who is gonna bring freedom and who's gonna restore us and who is our hope and who is our truth. You see, the Israelites, they had a partial victory. They, they were freed from exile and that was incredible and it was what God had prophesied, but it was a partial victory It was a taste of the true hope that was coming into the world. And what is that message of good news? Here is your God. He's here, and he's everything he's claiming to be. So prepare your hearts. Guys, let's prepare our hearts. Let's prepare our lives, because the King is coming. Can we trust this king with our hope? So the next part we're going to look at is the blue bits. Now, some of the blue bits describe humans and some of the blue bits describe God. But one thing it does is it emphasizes just this massive difference between the fallibility of humans and the sovereignty of a perfect and faithful king. So it's the super powerful contrast that's happening. If we were to summarize the blue bits, it would go something like this. So looking at what it says about humans, we are like grass. We wither and fade. Our lives are fragile. We're a drop in the bucket, dust on the scales, not enough, worth nothing, empty, less than nothing, ignorant, flawed we're a wisp that can be blown away at any moment inconsistent and mortal all in all not a very impressive picture for us humans we are not as grand as we sometimes think we are eugene peterson writes all the persons of faith i know are sinners doubters uneven performers we are secure, not because we are sure of ourselves, but because we trust that God is sure of us. Let's see what the blue bits have to say about God. God is full of glory. His breath gives life or blows it out in a moment. God is eternal. He rules with perfect power. God holds the oceans in his hand. He measures the heavens with his fingers. He is all-knowing, has absolute wisdom. He is perfect in justice and righteousness. He picks up the whole earth as if it is a grain of sand. He is worthy of all praise and reverence. He has no equal. He is before all things. He is creator. He is judge. He is the everlasting God. He never gets tired. He is without limits. That's God. We can't even use the same measuring scale, the same measuring tool to compare humans and God. He is absolutely incomparable. And yet, how often do we, as mere human beings, try to persuade God to do things the way we think he should? How often do we complain to him, God, you don't understand. Where are you when I need you? We can be a bunch of complainers as humans. And that's the bit in pink. These fallible, limited creatures complain and moan and doubt God's goodness. God, don't you see my troubles? Why do you ignore me? That's what the Israelites do, and we do the same. We feel disappointed and confused. We burn our fingers on the flame of the world's unfaithfulness, and then instead of trusting in God, we just shift our trust and our hope, and we put it on some otherworldly solution. Again and again, the Israelites put their hope in all the wrong places, and we do exactly the same thing. We trust in our strength, in power, in politics, in finance, in wisdom, and it all amounts to nothing. Isaiah is speaking to a people who have been living in exile, and it's like he's saying to them, you think these things have shown their power. Idols, nations, rulers, their power is nothing to me. I just blow on it and it'll disappear. And God uses Isaiah to remind Israel that he alone is their hope. And God uses Isaiah to remind us of exactly the same. God is who he says he is. And who does God say he is? The Lord is the everlasting God God the creator of all the earth. He never grows weak or weary. No one can measure the depths of his understanding. How is this faithful king going to respond to Israel? For 39 chapters, he has been warning them about the consequences of their sin. What will he say to them now? Let's take a good long look at the king who comes And silences our doubts will he roar will he strike them down he could (laughs) let's have a look at the yellow bits they show us how God responds whenever something's repeated in scripture we really need to sit up and take notice and I love how this chapter begins it starts out saying and it's God speaking Comfort, comfort my people. Friends, whatever it is you deserve from God, this is how he speaks to you. Speak tenderly to them, says God. Tell them I will feed them like a shepherd feeds his flock. I will carry them in my arms. I will hold them close to my heart. Tell them I'll strengthen them when they're weak. I will give my strength for them, and they will soar on wings like eagles. They will run and not grow weary. They will walk and not be faint. Whatever it is that you have gone through, whatever it is that you are busy going through, God is who he says he is and you can trust him with every part of your life. The king who held the oceans in his hands, he is the same king who will lay down his power, who will clothe himself as a human being and live and die on this dusty planet so that we can live fully assured of his salvation. The king, infinitely greater than we could ever begin to imagine, he calls for tenderness towards you. As believers in Jesus, it's good for us to be reminded of who we are and who our Savior is. If you're here today and you're not a follower of Jesus, I wanna encourage you to deeply consider whether the things that you're putting your hope in, what you're putting your trust in, is really bringing you any level of peace. Jesus is infinitely greater than anything or anyone we could ever put our trust in. The moment that sin came into the world, Doubt was born in the hearts of man, and we have been struggling with it ever since. But the moment that Jesus entered the world, hope was incarnated. Hope became a person, and every promise that God has ever made is met in him. So what does that mean for you and me today? What does that mean for us sitting here? Man, I read Isaiah 40 and it makes me so determined. I am not going to be like those Israelites. I am going to be a person whose life embodies hope and faith. I'm going to embody the opposite of doubt in my life. But, Don, <laughs> just like those Israelites, I don't get it right. You know, all it takes is the rates are resigning from Escom, and I'm like, oh, are we okay? <laughs> <laughs> but what I'm learning is this. The opposite of doubt is Jesus. He's all you need. In Isaiah 40, verse 5, we read, prepare the way for the king. The glory of the Lord will be revealed, and all a people will see it. And then we zoom forward into the New Testament and in John 1 verse 14 we read this The word became flesh and made his dwelling among us We have seen his glory the glory of the one and only Son who came from the Father full of grace and truth We have seen his glory Guys the breath <laughs> the breathtaking the incarnation is breathtaking God, infinitely superior to us, wraps himself in human limitation, lives among us, and then treats us like we are his most precious treasure. And Jesus comes knowing that he will die so that we can live. James Hunter writes, the incarnation is the only adequate reply to the erosion of trust between the word and the world. Guys, one week from today, we're gonna wake up, and it's gonna be Christmas morning. The day that we celebrate that the King has come, that God's rescue plan has been set into action. Last week, Anne spoke about the already and the not yet. Already, Jesus has come, and because of Jesus, we can live lives of real hope and joy and assurance but there is a magnitude of what this means that we won't fully experience until Jesus comes again. And when he does, we will soar on wings like eagles, we will run and not grow weary, we will walk and not faint. But right now, today, we get to live lives of people who live in God's strength. We get to be people who are wrapped up in God's comfort and hope and promises. Today, we get to anchor our hope and our peace for this life and the next in Jesus Christ, the one who carries us in his arms, the one who holds us close to his heart. These are today realities in Jesus for you and for me. Elizabeth Elliot says it beautifully. We are not adrift in chaos. We're held in the everlasting arms. And guys, we get to be good news people. We are meant to be. We are called to be that voice calling out, telling the people around us, prepare. Prepare your hearts. Prepare your lives. And we need to do the same. We need to prepare our hearts. We need to prepare our lives. Because friends, the king Is here. I'd love to pray for us. Heavenly Father, thank you that you are the King who is promised, that you sent Jesus to come and be our rescue, our hope, our salvation. Father God, I pray for every single person here, Lord God. I pray, Lord God, that we will allow your hope to take root in our hearts, that we will stand firmly as a people who know that you are who you say you are, and that we will go out into the world and tell the people around us, our God is faithful and he can be trusted. He is powerful and he is good. We love you, Lord. Amen.